Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the ninth Sunday after Pentecost for the week of August 7th, 2022, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and my goodness, where has the summer months gone here in the Northern Hemisphere? We are already in August. It's amazing how fast this time of year just continues to roll along. I know there are parts of the country that already have school starting. I know for here where I'm at, we're still about another month really before we get going, but it's just amazing how those days just keep on ticking and they just keep on moving and it's amazing how fast it continues to move as we are continuing to move beyond the halfway point and we're edging toward that three quarters of the way through the year quite quickly and so I think it's one of those amazing things but it's also where is the time going and it's amazing that here we are we're in Luke where we only have a few more months here of Luke and it's amazing how fast things are going and I think it's recognizing and realizing that and relishing in it and really able to really treasure that time that we're in. But before we jump into this week's text, let's look at the question that we had for last week. And the question was, at what point are you willing to let go? And I think this is relies and depends on a lot of different things within our own faith. At what point are we willing to let God take over? At what point are we willing to trust God further and be willing to say, okay, I can't control every asset. I can't control every part of my life. There's a point where I have to have faith step in and be able to take control. It's part of the reason why this podcast is called the Faith in Science Podcast. You have to have the faith first, and part of faith is being willing and able to let go of things. And I think that's one of the things that as we get into this week's text this week, It ties in really well. And with where we are going this week, I think there's some fun tie-ins to think about and to be able to work with here when we're talking about that. So let's just jump right into it. One of the alternative Old Testament texts for this week is out of Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1 and verses 10 through 20. So this is the beginning of the book of Isaiah, a little bit of more of a warning here, and we're getting this warning from the prophet Isaiah here talking about how God is kind of getting frustrated with how the people are kind of going through the motions and yet there isn't a change of their heart. There isn't this real condolence of what they're doing. It's more out of okay, this is what I'm supposed to do, but I know it's going to happen again, and I'm not even really thinking about what's going on here. It's this process of, okay, I'll go and do sacrifices, I'll go and do this, and yet God trying to remind them and warn them and kind of think about what are you actually doing? What is my role in this, and why aren't you being obedient that I've continued to be with you and guide you through this? And later in the chapter, he gets a little bit deeper into some other aspects of what this is all going to mean. But at this point, it's kind of more the recognition of what is going on. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 50, verses 1 to 8 and 22 and 23. This is the recognition of, again, how powerful God is and then what does that out of mean? That God is this all-powerful being, but yet it's listening to us and being able to hear us as we are going through that and recognizing in that there is a responsibility with that, but a freedom that also comes with that and recognizing that when we are doing that and recognizing that that's when, when we're doing our sacrifices and offerings of different nature, that we are actually being able to connect at a deeper level and be able to understand more fully what God is really trying to draw out of us. 
The alternative Old Testament text then for this week is out of Genesis chapter 15 verses 1 to 6. This is a fairly familiar kind of text here where we have the Lord coming and talking with Abram, reassuring him in verse 1 to not be afraid that your reward will be great. Abram comes back with a very interesting question on, God, I continue to be childless. And at this point, my heir would be Eliza of Damascus. And how then is this going to be great if I don't have my own heir? And God reassures Abram at this point that, yes, I am working on that. You will have your own heir. Trust me in this. And then we get verse 5 where he tells him to go and look toward the sky and look at the stars. And if you're able to count them, so your descendants will be, will be this great number, this great people that God is setting aside. And it's the beginning of the tribe of Israel. The psalm that goes with that then is Psalm 33 verses 12 to 22. And this is then that recognition of how God is in all control and sitting over everything and recognizing all of this. But then it's recognizing in that that it's God doing the work. And I really like kind of starting in verse 16. A king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. A war horse is a vain hope for victory. And by its great might, it cannot save. Truly, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. This idea, again, of this dependence on God and recognizing God and realizing that it's the abilities that God has given us that allows us to be able to do anything. The New Testament text this week is out of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 3 and 8 to 16. And I love how this text starts. It's a great way to start. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen is made from things that are not visible. And then it gets into talking about the faith of these different people and recognizing that there were times where they had to have the faith to, one, God was going to provide land. God was going to provide heirs. God was going to continue to provide. And even when those times were difficult, when they were having to leave what they knew, leave what was comfortable, head in a new direction, they didn't turn back and return to where they were, but yet were moving forward to where God was by having faith and that God provided in better ways by doing this. So the gospel text this week is out of Luke chapter 12, verses 32 to 40. This is kind of jumping into a middle of a discussion here, but there's a lot of quotable lines here that a lot of people are probably fairly familiar. So we start with, do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell all your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourself that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief can come near nor moth destroy. So moth going in and eating, whatever it is. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. And then we get this analogy of a master coming from a wedding banquet and that people are prepared. And blessed are those who were alert and ready for when the master comes. And that might be in the middle of the night, that might be near dawn, but yet they were ready and prepared. 
I really like also verse 39, and you'll understand a little bit more when we get into talking about the science tie-in. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. And then continuing the verse 40, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This idea of, again, being prepared, being ready, but also this hope of how God continues to provide in faith for those who have the faith, but also how God then continues to fulfill that promise and lays out this mission of hope that is so encouraging. So, before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do our shameless plug. Oh, working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainways podcast or commentaries discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help bring you this podcast. So, if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend that. But I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. Not only do they lay out the text wonderfully, and I use them on a weekly basis to be able to look at and describe and talk about these texts to you, but I really also enjoy to see how different people have interpreted these pieces of art throughout time and throughout different areas of the world artistically. And so if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. Below, I'm going to attach something that's from the TED Radio Hour on NPR. And I think it's really fun. Partially, the whole idea, if you have, and I know I've attached TED Talks before, but it's taking somebody who's educated on something who gives a discussion on something. And what they're doing is they're taking some of these people who have given different TED Talks and they're going into a little bit more detail with some of these discussions and kind of getting into that. And recently they came out with one talking about birds and bees and crickets. And I found all of these in a lot of ways were really super interesting. So starting with honeybees, this was talking about from this biologist in New York, New Jersey, realizing that what they were finding is habitat where bees were in urban areas for rooftop gardens were doing better than what we would assume they would do well in, like some type of meadow in Jersey. And what they're looking at and were able to reference was because they're pollinators it's able to having the abundance of resources, then they're not dealing with the pesticides and diseases and different things of that nature. And also being able to then having these thriving communities to find that these bees then were better able to work together to provide for each other, thus having a healthier hive, thus being able to actually have the whole community flourish. And so in this case, talking about how the benefits of bees and one of the things we've talked about before, how there are different roles within the hive. You have worker bees, you have your queen bee, you have your ones who are taking care of the young. There's a lot of different roles within that and all of them working together, which is kind of a beautiful image of the body, but also recognizing there's a dependence upon each other in order to be able to do something like that. A lot kind of like what we're talking about here where we're keeping alert, but there's a group of people keeping alert, working together to be able to do that. But also the idea of us keeping the faith and working together in the faith to recognize that God has continued to provide, to hear the stories of how God has continued to provide, to be able to help us in those times where we're struggling, where we're wrestling, where we're going through these different times of difficulty within our faith, like Abram kind of talks about, or as 
Isaiah is trying to call out to the people that maybe this isn't the best direction to go. We've talked about it before and I can attach links down below how bees will do like the waggle dance to be able to communicate where the best pollen is to be able to work with the other bees of the hive to be able to help provide for the group as a whole. And one of the things that was really fun with this article, and if I would encourage if you ever get around some more natural beekeepers, the different flavors of honey that you can get based off the flowers that are in season and how that actually influences the taste of the honey is really, really interesting. So a great first part to this text. But the other next thing that I found that was super interesting was taking this person named Carrion Border, who has been studying brood parasites and how specifically how birds are influenced by different things. So let's explain a few things here. Brood parasites are species that decide they want to find caregivers for their young. Some do it immediately at birth, some kind of pawn it off a little bit later in life. So an example, especially like where I'm at, the common merganser, where typically the mother is going to raise their young, but at some points they kind of lead their young to come to a daycare or some other mother who's maybe better at mothering. And suddenly you get, instead of her six, maybe 12, 20, 30 young following this adult that is perceived as some type of good leader. I know a couple years back, and I'll see if I can find a photo and attach it down in the show notes below. I know where I'm at, they had a picture of a mother with 72 young behind that. Apparently that was a very good mother and a lot of them trying to pawn off their young. But another example of brood parasite is a totally different style which is like the brown-headed cowbird where they want nothing to do with the raising of young. And so then they are trying to figure out where can they go to be able to kind of get rid of this responsibility. It takes a lot of energy. And so it's a way to kind of be able to move on from that. So what they would do is they kind of go and survey different areas, different nests, and find eventually a nest and be able to drop their eggs in there and so that this other species is caring for the young after the eggs have been laid. So essentially, they have no part in the process at all. So in doing this, it's mean that they had a couple different modifications that they've had to do to be able to do this. And this is where, to me, it kind of thinks about this thief in the night idea. And I think it's also this good reminder of how, one, the thief has to be skilled and has to learn how to be able to do this. So yes, going and doing preview flights to be able to potentially look out and find potential nests that they are able to lay their eggs in, but then also to getting good at being able to lay their eggs quickly. The brown-headed cowbird is actually pretty slow with how they lay their eggs, taking 41 seconds. But looking at some of these others, the shiny cowbird is seven seconds the bronze cowbird being five seconds and actually a kind of a funny little discussion that they actually have in the TED radio hour is can you imagine labor only being five seconds long? But there's also the flip side of this conversation is the faith side of here again is this parent who doesn't know how to raise young because they never have been taught. 
They have this egg and yes, they've learned to be able to go and do scouting routes and they've also been able to find that some of these different types of birds can actually change the colors and add speckles and different things to try to match the eggs at the nest that they're going into, but also the faith that there's going to be nests for them to be able to lay their egg and being able to find them. Just kind of like the people of Israel that we kind of get explained a little bit more in the Hebrews reading, kind of talking about the trust and the faith that it takes to continue to move forward, even if you can't necessarily see exactly where you're going. But another part of this that I felt was really interesting, again, that plays into that hope, is when times are tough and resources are short, it's not uncommon for birds to lay extra eggs. Let me repeat that. When times are tough and resources are short, it's not uncommon for a mother to lay extra eggs, thus being harder on the mother to do this. And the reason being knowing that the likelihood of all of them surviving isn't high, but if I lay more eggs, it's like turning in more lottery tickets that I should have a better chance of making this happen, being able to find something that works. And I think in a lot of ways, that's kind of like what we're hearing here of that hope that we keep working, we keep striving, the recognition of working hard, even if we don't necessarily see the end game, working hard to be able to follow this faith, even if we aren't understanding at the moment where it's taking us, being able to recognize when God's calling out, you're doing something wrong. And even though you don't necessarily see it as wrong or don't necessarily understand why I'm telling you that you need to do it this way and really, truly mean it, Or in Abram's hands, when God is talking about, I am going to provide for you, even though you haven't had a child, it's hard to be able to see, but God, how is that going to be? It doesn't make a ton of sense. This isn't making sense in my rational brain. It's the whole idea, and it's something I even experienced again this last week with birding, as I brought up last week, like we get here in Luke in verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock. This idea of how birds will flock together. Why do they flock together? For protection, to be able to work together, to encourage each other, to help find food, for defense mechanisms. So this idea that we are all in this together, we all are working together. And those moments when we have doubt, that that's when we have the body around us to be able to help us in that, to encourage us. As the people are waiting for the master to return here from this wedding banquet, this idea that they're encouraging each other and working together to be able to do that, they're keeping a watch out in the middle of the night waiting for the master to return is an encouraging thought to be able to be working on and thinking about. The final thing that I did find in this TED Radio Hour, and it's the final story they talked about, were crickets that were observed on the island of Kauai. And so typically crickets are chirping in the middle of the night. And this is a person who has been studying cricket biology for an extended period of time. She goes to this island and finds suddenly they aren't chirping and thinks, oh, wow, is the population dipping and different things of that nature. As she is out there and observing and actually taking a moment, she realizes the ground is crawling with crickets. And what she finds is that this Pacific field cricket is having a parasitic fly that is hearing the sounds of the crickets 
and then laying their eggs. But typically how and why crickets chirp is it's a breeding call to be able to bring in the females. But in this case, it's also bringing in these parasitic flies. So when the males were chirping, there was a 50-50 chance, if you want to put it that way, of either attracting a female to be able to procreate or finding this parasitic fly that was then putting itself and laying its eggs on it and that it would actually eventually kill the cricket. And what was happening was a genetic mutation that had happened that some of the males were unable to make sound. So what they were doing was creating satellites around the male that was chirping and the possibility of having the females that were coming and looking for the male that was singing its love song and being able to procreate with that one. And so thus, there was this one interdependence upon the whole community working together that yes, they still need the chirping male, but yes, these other males still exist and are helping the population be able to be steady. But then also two, them being able to provide and being able to help the species being able to move forward, even though if they don't have these chirping males, they're much less likely. So there's kind of this balance that is coming in. And to me, it's really similar to when we're looking at like the tribe of Israel and how they're called forward. And even at times we're into the promised land, then have to fall back because they're not following where God is going and realizing that God is trying to take them forward. But at times when there's things that we're perceiving as going forward, it's also moving backwards at the same point. So this idea of what does it actually mean to have faith? What does it actually mean to have that hope? If I'm a male cricket born without the ability to be able to sing a love song, to be able to procreate, am I then just doom and gloom? Or do I realize that there is still a hope of me being able to procreate and it's an important part of the population, but also realizing the important part of the population that are able to sing, even though there's a high risk of them being able to be parasitized also. So this kind of back and forth type of thing, there's a trust that nature naturally has to have to be able to live and survive. And this is part of what God is calling us into. This is what we see in the Isaiah test of not taking God for granted and realizing the power that God has, but yet God still loves and cares for us. This power of what God has promised Abram here and realizing that Abram then still has to take that leap of faith, to take that step to be able to understand that, yes, I'm still going to pursue this even though this doesn't make sense, even though I'm of old age, how the heck is this actually going to happen? And realize that it's through the ability of God that all this stuff happens. And we see that kind of reiterated in the Hebrews text. To me, this is the treasure that we're seeking. This treasure of hope that is coming from verse 34 here in the Luke text. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This desire of realizing of reliance and trusting God, being able to develop that relationship with God that we're able to trust even when our call of when God is calling us to do something seems unreasonable, seems unbearable. It's like that good boss or like that good coach who's being able to challenge you to move forward and knows that you're able to do it even before you know it yourself. And this reliance that what that means but like we talked about, the, the enemy is still planning and, and still being conscientious of that. So that also means that we need to still be working to try to be able to realize this, but also being able to work together to be able to help each other out of this. And that's where when I listened to this talk and talking about this, 
I just thought it was so interesting, realizing that even in a time of lack of resources, birds being willing and able to put themselves out there even in a bigger way, and do we, in those times when we are stressed, put ourselves out there in a bigger way faith-wise? I think a lot of times when things are challenging, it's really easy for us to shut it off and say, well, I need to focus on my stuff, and God, you're giving me too much already. Why would I put myself out there more? And finding that balance as we're looking at these different species, realizing that there's this interplay, this balance that takes place. And yet that's exactly what I feel like God is calling us into with faith, realizing that this faith is, yes, hope, but it's also the relationship that comes to be able to build that hope to actually happen in the first place. You see, all of these things take time to understand. Our hope, our faith take time to understand, to be able to work, to relate to. These are hopeful texts, but then we also have to embody that. And what does that actually mean? What does it mean for us to actually have hope? What does it mean for us to be able to live out in that way? What does it mean for us when we are going through difficult times to actually say, no, we're going to go further. We're going to produce more. What does it mean that when we're struggling, that we're lean on the dependence of others in our community? Especially in a time like this, as we are still coming out of a pandemic, and yet you look at a lot of the last couple years, we've had to be in some ways interdependent, but it's also forced it to be independent a lot. And how do we get so that that needle falls back more on interdependence with each other? For us to be able to survive and work and be able to work together on these difficult problems that we do still have. Being able to provide and work for each other in different ways that we haven't been able to before. How do we be able to look at different limitations and stuff that we have and still see the ways that we are able to work around them, like the Pacific Field Cricket? How are we able to think creatively to be able to recognize that rooftop gardens are actually helpful for bees more than what we might be thinking of their traditional sense? How do we then be able to implement that to be able to recognize that this is something that's powerful? How do we get beyond the stigma that bees are bad or getting beyond the stigma that bees are going to sting me to be able to recognize that no, these are one of the best helpers that we can possibly have and we owe them billions of dollars each year. How do we get to the point of having the faith to be able to lay the extra eggs? How do we have the faith to be able to do the survey flights, to be able to prepare us for what is coming up ahead? How do we go through the motions enough to be able to do things quick and fast and efficient, to be able to continue to move on? How are we okay with accepting that this might then make for difficult things and being able to still raise our young, even if one isn't our young? There's a lot of questions here, but it's the hope that comes from all this is also important. Hope is what drives us, and that's where our faith is really seen. That's when we realize that we don't have to be afraid is when we are in those flocks working together. It's in those times, in those places that we are actually able to grow and move forward. It's realizing that this is a message of hope and being able to see that hope and wrestle with that hope and live into that hope. And that might take leaps of faith. That might mean that we have to be able to go out further than what we can recognize and realize that that's something that's required of us at this time. That might mean us venturing into something that we are being called into, even if we can't see the end result. God telling Abram 
This is what the end result will be. And Abram saying, but I haven't had a child. I doubt that Abram was able to fully see it at that moment. But yet it was also super important for us to be able to have that happen, to be able to become the people that God has called us to be and called the tribe of Israel to be. So the question I have for you this week is, are we able to get beyond where we can see? Are we able to have the faith to see beyond where we can see? Because I think in a lot of ways, our world, our church, we are in these places. And as me being, I'm slowly trying to graduate myself out of being a young person and moving into that weird middle age area within the church, but trying to grasp on it as much as I can. The wisdom from my youth within the church still says we have to have this vision to be able to see beyond ourselves. And I feel like in a lot of ways, we are so struggling and wanting to continue to look back. When are we going to learn that we have to be able to keep looking forward? Learn from the past, be okay with glancing back, but realize that our head and motion needs to be continued to move forward. If we're constantly looking behind us, the thief can come right in front of us and steal. That's why we have to work together to be able to work through this. And that's through the relations and through the talking, we'll be able to see the light and be able to understand what we've done, but also see the light of potentially what is coming. Be able to work together, being able to figure out ways for us to survive, whether it means laying an extra egg or two, even though it's hard, or maybe being able to see that maybe there's a way we can still procreate, even though we all can't sing. Maybe it also means being creative and being able to see the beauty and creativity and start seeing the fruit and the honey that comes from that. This is where we're at. This is who we are. And this is where us as the body needs to be in these difficult places, but realizing that hope is helping us find actually our true faith, which is then realizing where our treasure really is as our heart catches up with it. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.